Right, so we are at the last week of our Acts series. Uh, if you've been following it through, uh, reading through a chapter a day and following through the notes from our book, uh, you'll have got to the end of that um, today. Okay, so, higher. Um, so, we um, are going to start looking actually at what would have been yesterday's reading, which is chapter 21, um, just because I thought let's just track back a little bit with that. Okay, and it says this. It says, we continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemy, we were greeted, uh, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Really powerful. Um, we hear straight away there that it was a prophetic community amongst the believers. Um, there's the, the daughters of Philip the Evangelist. Okay, and this guy, Agabus. He comes down and he speaks and he takes Paul's belt and he just kind of ties himself up with it. And he uses it as a picture. He uses it as a teaching aid. And he says, do you know what? In the same way that I've done this to myself, the Jewish leaders are going to tie up the owner of this belt, Paul. And he's going to be bound. And then everybody's getting really stressed out. Everybody's really worried. Paul, don't go. Don't do it. Don't go and do that. And then... He says, why are you weeping about it? Why are you breaking my heart? I'm not only ready to be tied up and restricted for what I believe, for what I need to say. I'm also ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. One of those songs we sang uh, in the worship time just before, uh, as we were singing it, I was thinking, do you know what? Paul could have sung this. Paul could have sung this song. Uh, he could have um, just sang every word of this because he was talking about uh, being secure in the name of Jesus. He was talking about walls being broken down. Uh, he was talking about all those things we've heard about Paul and how he lived his life while we've been reading uh, this book of Acts. Because Paul wasn't afraid. Paul wasn't discouraged from going to where he was being called to because he was immersed in Jesus. He was covered in Jesus. He was in a place where he was abandoned to the course, completely abandoned to the course. I want to challenge you this morning. How much are you immersed 
in Jesus? How much are you taking yourself and throwing yourself in at the deep end of what it means to be a follower of Christ? You know when you throw yourself into a pool, when you jump in? I don't know if, like me, sometimes you try and do that thing where you jump in and you've ever tried to keep your head above water when you jump in and it just doesn't happen, does it? And you go in and you're completely covered and you're completely drenched, you're completely saturated in water. Everything about you goes down into that water, gets wet, gets covered in it, and then comes back up. Are we doing that? Are we throwing ourselves into the deep end of our faith in what it means to be church? Are we doing that? Are we abandoned to the cause of Jesus? It goes on, the next few chapters, and they talk about this ongoing saga. So Paul's bound up and he's taken off and he's on trial and he moves from one place to the next. And if you look at it, it seems a little bit like Paul's getting progressively more and more bad days. Okay, things are getting worse and worse for him. And he's getting before higher and higher courts. And the consequences are more and more. And we might have been tempted, and I might be tempted in those situations to just, to just kind of give up. But Paul doesn't. Paul speaks out. He uses every opportunity that he has to share his faith. He's on trial for disrupting, for being a social nuisance, uh, for being against the law of God, according to some of the Jews. But every time he's accused of this, he doesn't just shut up or say, I'm not. He speaks, and he speaks truth about what Jesus has said to him. And he speaks out the gospel. And he does it so that people will know Jesus. He does it because it is the right thing to do, and it's truth. And if you look through this whole section, and I mentioned it in one of the day's notes, it talks about integrity. It talks about truth. And I said something along the lines of this, that integrity, when we have integrity, when we're honest and we do everything up front and in the open, it brings and grows trust People trust us if we have integrity. If people trust us, then it's a lot easier to tell them about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Are you with me? Yes, good. At least the front row is. Excellent. All right, so integrity grows trust. Trust allows us to better share our faith. In the book, in the Acts book, I referred a lot to faith stories rather than testimonies because testimonies is a really Christian word and maybe people outside of the church don't understand what that means. But a faith story, a testimony, is telling people about how you have come to know Jesus, about what your journey is. And sometimes when it comes to that, and I've tried to encourage you in that book to share those faith stories with people and with each other, but when it comes to it, sometimes we're obsessed with these kind of like Hollywood blockbuster testimony stories, yeah? Who's ever said, uh, oh, my, my testimony is not very interesting? Anybody ever said that? 
Libby Jay, you've said that. Lauren said that. I'm sure a few of us, yeah, there's a few hands going up now going, yeah, yeah, I've said that. Um, right. My testimony is not very interesting. Okay. I want to tell you a little bit about my testimony. And uh, it's not very exciting. It's not a blockbuster testimony. Um, it's quite a long story, uh, and it's still going. I know lots of people who have these testimonies where some amazing thing happens, and there's some huge turning point in their life. And that's fantastic. And we've heard testimonies from people like Simon Woodward, who comes and preaches, and he has this amazing story, which would make a great film or a great book. Mine starts with coming to church with mom and dad when I was a baby, and coming along and being in Sunday school, and eventually, at the age of seven, going to a holiday club, and somebody saying, would you like to follow Jesus? And me saying, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And then it kind of ambles on, and it goes on various ups and downs, and various experiences of meeting Jesus, and more of Jesus being revealed. But there's not these huge peaks, these huge turnaround events that I can think about. There's not these massive, massive, pivotal moments in my story of faith. And maybe over the years I've not wanted to share it with people because I've thought, actually, it's not that exciting. It's not that attractive. It's the kind of movie that is at the bottom of the list at the cinema that nobody goes to see and that it's just kind of like some weird little kind of arty thing where nothing happens uh, along to the end and there's all kind of just fancy camera angles and that's it and you go away thinking, I have no idea what that was about. Right? My, you wouldn't make a very exciting trailer to my faith story, maybe. But it's been a journey. When things have happened and things have ebbed and flowed and there's been good times and there's been bad times and there's times when I've been full of faith and there's times when doubts have gnawed at my head and gnawed at my mind. And there's been times when I've been really following Jesus And there's been times when I've been looking for an excuse to not follow Jesus. But ebb and flow is real life. And often a walk into faith is gradual. Not many of our testimonies are these blockbuster testimonies that come with a magic wand. And everything's great. And everything goes as it should after we accept Jesus. And do you know what? Sometimes those testimonies are not very helpful to people. They can inspire them. But actually, if they think that when they make a commitment to follow Jesus, then everything is going to go from like really bad to really, really good, like that, then they're going to be slightly lost. And they might feel slightly let down, or slightly like maybe they haven't got it right, When life's not great for them, when they don't have a massive experience that turns around their life, like with shining lights and, you know, an amazing thumping soundtrack going and this kind of thing and a rising band, right? They might think that actually if they don't have a special out there, massive experience of God, that actually they're not in the right place. In Lizzie's interview uh, last week, um, we asked a question, and one of the questions that was asked to both Liz and to Libby as part of the interview process was, you know, all of the roles in our church, 
are about bringing people into a relationship with Jesus. Every single role that we have is about making sure that people have that opportunity to start to live a life of faith. We asked Lizzie the question, what would you say to a non-Christian who asked you what a difference Jesus makes in your life? Lizzie said this. She said, first of all, I'd try and make sure that I didn't use Christian words and I didn't say it in a Christian way. And then she struggled to find the word that she wanted. And because she struggled to find the word that she wanted, she did something that Lizzie quite often does, and she just made a word up. She said, um, she said I'd want to tell them that Jesus and following Jesus won't make your life perfect and easy and amazing all the time. But what following Jesus will do will make life, wait for it, handleable. Um, Mom struggled and asked how to spell this when she wrote it down. But Lizzie was trying to say this in a way that's not like in a way that we say stuff in church. But it makes you be able to deal with life. Because what is missing from our lives, and Libby's often said this, and this came up in her interview as well, this whole thing that like, if you're not following Jesus, then what on earth are people's lives about? What are people who are not in a relationship with Jesus? What are they going through in this world without this thing that actually makes it make sense and pull it together? Make it, as Lizzie said, handleable. Okay, we can deal with life. We can deal with the ups and downs because Jesus is in our life and he's going through those with us. So real life faith and sharing your testimony, be encouraged, share it, share your stories, share your journeys. Because real life faith isn't about sunshine and rainbows all the time. And going back to the book of Acts, Paul certainly knew that life wasn't all rainbows and sunshine. Years ago, um, 12 years ago, just before we had Melody, Ruth and I uh, went actually with Nick uh, Bennett as well, Chris and Beck's younger brother. We went off sailing. We went off to do the tall ships race. Uh, we went out to the Baltic. We were having a great time. We joined the boat in Finland uh, and we sailed out. And we went through the archipelagos uh, and we joined after the one racing leg. And there was a cruise called a cruising company. So the boats aren't racing and all this huge fleet of boats, sailing boats, sailing together to different islands and things, having a lovely time. Uh, it came through to the race leg that we were part of. Um, and the forecast said it was going to be great. Really good weather, good wind. We want wind when we're sailing, we want wind in the sails. Uh, and it was going to be okay. The sea state, the size of the waves wasn't going to be too bad, that kind of thing. We set out uh, from Latvia and we were going to a place called Travermund in Germany. We set out. And on the first night, that wind was there. It was a bit choppy at the start line, more so than we were expecting, more than the weather forecast said. But we set out. As it got to night, fog came down, thick fog. 
to the point where you couldn't see a thing. It was quite scary. We were racing along at huge speed in this boat. You couldn't see anything. The skipper was down below checking the radar, basically, and where we were on GPS. Checked there weren't any other boats around, any rocks we were going to sail into. It's a little bit like driving your car on the sat-nav blindfolded uh, at 90 miles an hour. That was a little bit how it felt to me. It was quite scary. Things went on. The fog lifted, but um, the weather conditions got worse. And the weather conditions got to a point where it was hurricane-force squalls. We were in such a bad state that the boat, which is a 60-foot sailing boat with two masts, got knocked down, so the masts were in the water twice. Thankfully, we were all clipped on and harnessed in. Ruth and a friend of ours were at the front of the boat changing a sail, and they were clipped on, and we dug into this huge wave. And the front of the boat, and Ruth and this guy called Rich, went underwater with the boat and came up in the middle of the ocean. This went on for 36 hours. During that time, I admit that I was terrified. Okay? We had one guy with us who um, he was an actor and he was a public school boy and he was very, very posh and he was asking me about it and Nick and we just said, no, this is quite normal. This happens all the time because we didn't want to scare him. Um, so he was the calmest member of the crew, I think, because we just told him, yeah, this happens all the time. Um, I got to a point where I was considering throwing myself out of the boat um, thinking, actually, maybe I would have more chance if I just floated around in a life jacket in the middle of the Baltic Ocean uh, than being on this boat getting absolutely smashed around and battered. Started to do crazy things uh, with my head. The skipper had got what's called a grab bag out, ready to take into the life raft in case the boat went down. It was getting that serious. The boat was making groaning, creaking, and cracking noises like nothing I have ever heard. And every time I lay down in my bunk, I was thinking about the quickest way out of a hatch if we just went underwater. It was terrifying. Really terrifying. We ended up being out there longer than we were supposed to. So even when the storm finished, we were hungry and we'd got no food left. And when I was reading through Acts, there's that amazing passage in Acts 27, and I want to read it to you. When it was decided that we'd sail for Italy, Paul and some of the prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius. He belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, And Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we'd sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving at Pinidus when the wind did not allow us to hold our course. We sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. 
So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbour in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island, and the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Corda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you so keep up your courage men for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me are you sure enough in what God has told you to be able to say I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Paul got that faith because he spent time with God, because he knew what God's word said, and because he listened and he acted and he called out to God and he stepped out in faith and in stepping out in faith to do the things that God called him to do, his faith was tested and made more sure. I think there's a danger when we read that passage to imagine this calm situation where Paul's just telling this to all these guys on the ship. But we've got to remember that actually nothing had changed. Paul makes this speech and tells them about what's going to happen in the middle of the storm while the storm is still raging and that boat is getting tossed around and waves are breaking over them and the sun and the stars haven't been seen for days. It's not an easy time for Paul to say everything's going to be okay because God's told me it's going to be okay, trust me. It's a really difficult time. Paul doesn't wait for the easy time. Sometimes we can be really guilty of saying, do you know what, I'll wait for an opportunity to tell someone about what God's asking us to do, about what God's going to do, and I'll wait for a nice calm time. I'll wait for a time when it's easy for someone to receive that message, where it's easy for someone to believe that God is going to come through for them. Paul did it in the middle of a raging storm 
on the deck of a boat that everybody thought was going to go down. And he said, you're going to be okay because God has told me you're going to be okay. For some people, life is like this journey that Paul was on. That they're desperately trying to hold their boat together to patch it up, to get rid of things that seem to be weighing them down. But whatever they do, whatever they try and get rid of on their own, whatever they throw with their own hands into the sea, if you like, the storm keeps raging. There's that great hymn, isn't there? We have an anchor that keeps us steadfast and firm while the waves roll. That anchor is Jesus. We need to share Jesus with people. We need to be confident to stand up in the storm and say, there is a way out. You will survive this if you follow what Jesus has got for you. Paul wasn't afraid to tell them about their mistakes. Sometimes it can be really hard to say to someone, look, what you decided to do wasn't right. It would have been better if you'd followed the good instructions from the start. Sometimes we need to be prepared to say to people, you should be doing it this way. What you're doing is not the right way to do it. Acts 28, today's reading. If you haven't read it yet, we're going to read it together. So you kind of get to cheat uh, on this last day. Read it again yourselves. Uh, It says this. When safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and, as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself onto his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire. And suffered no ill effects, and the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds, and they said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with a figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived in Regium. The next day, the south wind came up. And on the following day, we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. 
When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they'd assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and they wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. They replied, we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking about this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart had become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Great model just in that chapter, about all that church can be. Community where people come and they receive healing. Not just physical healing, but healing of the heart. But there's that encouragement in a very simple line, and I put it in that last chapter and I put it in today's reading in the book. And in the, ch- in the translation we used for the book, it simply says this, some believed and some didn't. We do not have the responsibility for making people believe. God says he'll do that. The Holy Spirit convicts people. The Holy Spirit speaks to people. What we do have is the responsibility to present people with the gospel and a chance to follow Jesus. Some people will believe. Some people won't. But at the end of the day, we can only present the gospel. We can't make them believe. When I was a kid, um, probably about eight or nine, we did an, assem- an assembly. We did a Sunday school anniversary on Acts. And there was a song at the end of it. And I remember most of the words, which is a bit of a miracle, really, because I'm terrible at remembering lyrics, which is why I always have to have the music in front of me. Um, now, you've listened hard, and you've listened well to all the stories that we have just told. And it said, something, 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 something. And now it's time for you to be bold. You've got to put your faith in Jesus. Put your life 
on the line. All join hands together and we can be Acts 29. Unity, faith, putting your life on the line, all those qualities that are shown by Paul and the early church through Acts are the things that we need if we want to be a church that grows. If we want to be in a church that impacts its community, that sees lives changed, we need to have unity together to follow on, to write these stories, these faith stories that we can share. Unity, integrity, honesty, teamwork, sacrifice. That sums up the book of Acts. I hope you've enjoyed reading it, and I hope you won't stop uh, reading your Bible. If this has been something that's really helped you to get into reading your Bible every day, don't stop now. Pick another offer, a Bible reading scheme. Chat to me later if you need some help with that. Get an app on your phone or your computer uh, that helps you do that. But let's just pray together now at the end of this, and we're just going to share communion uh, quickly at the end. But let's just stand together and pray as church, uh, pray for one another, uh, pray collectively. Lord God, we thank you for this book of Acts. We thank you for your word that teaches us so much about who you are, but also about how we can follow you better. Lord God, thank you for the heroes of faith the ones that we see in the Bible. Thank you for this uh, great apostle Paul. Lord God, thank you for his life. Thank you for the way he was obedient to you. And Lord God, today, Lord God, thank you for those heroes of the faith uh, that we see around us. Thank you for all those in between, people who founded our churches, people who stood up for your name in history. Lord God, help us to learn from their faith stories, but help us to create faith stories of our own. And Lord God, this morning we want more of you. Lord God, we want to be uh, a people who follow after you. We want to be a people who make a difference for you. So right now, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would fill us up. That you would just break into our hearts. Lord God, that you would put on our hearts a desire to see this town changed, to see this nation changed, to see the world changed in your name so that we can stand with faith and we can stand with integrity and say, God has spoken and it's going to be okay in the end. Life is not going to be easy, but life's going to be okay. And we can get through it because Jesus is willing to stand there alongside us. Amen.